to Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan, and we're broadcasting live on September 12th from the studios of WMNF in Tampa. We have several topics today. September is Suicide Prevention Month. We'll hear about the warning signs and community resources that are available. We'll also talk to the Union for State University professors about how new laws are negatively impacting higher education in Florida. That's all coming up later on in the show. First up, we're going to hear the details about why the nonprofit Florida Institute for Community Studies is losing its lease. Since 2016, FICS has leased a Hillsborough County park in town and country that had been closed since 2008. And our guest joining us right now live by Zoom is Elaine Unterberger, executive director of the Florida Institute for Community Studies. Welcome to Tuesday Cafe, Elaine. Thank you for having us. I'm really glad you could come on the show today. So let's start out by letting our listeners and viewers know uh, what is the Florida Institute for Community Studies? Thank you for letting me um, explain. So FIX was started in 2002 by a group of activists, mainly a lot of people from Tampa Bay students um, and community members who really understood that there needed to be um, some kind of research or some kind of organization that could help government understand community better and actually have community have voice. So we do, we start out as a research institute and then because the services that we were coming up with as a coalition or as a planning committee um, were not taken up by other groups, we became a service provider, which is why um, out of school time became such a high priority for our communities in town and country, especially and Waimama. So in Waimama, we're only really working in the summer because the building out there has gotten insane, as you know, South County has boomed. Um, so finding land or finding a place for us to be has been difficult. So we're working with the schools. Um, but in town and country, we were um, at a strip mall from 20, ooh, 20, 2004 through 2016, um, paying $4,000 in rent <laughs> with a leaky roof. Uh, and we were offered this park, which had been closed, and we'd been advocating it to be opened. And the, the children really do need outside space. And in strip malls, as you know, there is no space outside. So we thought it was a great win-win, and we reopened it, leasing it for $1,845 per year which is $1 per square foot. Um, but that's not indoor. Indoor is only about 1,200 square feet. And then that's a breezeway that's covered, but, you know, it's exposed to the elements. Um, either way, we never had a problem. I have renegotiated this lease. Every time we re renegotiate it with the Board of County Commissioners, we have to write a business plan, submit tons of paperwork, and it's always gone through. Last year, they started saying no, that they would only give us one year. So for the past year, I have been trying unsuccessfully to figure out why we can't stay and what the plans are for the building and what maybe we could improve if there's a problem. Um, and I've gotten nothing from them. Um, last Wednesday, Thursday, was supposed to be our last day, the 7th. Um, we had divine intervention from an assistant county or district administrator who had a Zoom with me and told me that she would negotiate another month until we could find a place to go or figure this out. She requested that I do a lot more reports. That's fine. I mean, I have other things to do, but we'll do the reporting that she asked. Um, However, yesterday, 
and I haven't released this to the press yet. I received an, a 30-day vacate notice from parks and real estate saying we had to be out by October 11th and that there could be nothing of fix left in the building. And it was sounded very final. Um, they want me to sign it and return it. I have not signed it yet. Um, I'm still trying to understand what the letter means uh, and get back to the intermediary, but um, it's very strange. I mean, we've been out there providing food. Um, we do, this is Suicide Prevention Month. We do use mental health first aid. We're the only provider who does use mental health first aid in Spanish um, for the Latino community and providers who provide in Spanish because the language we use with youth is really important, you know? Um, we got that grant in December of 2022. And so not only are they taking our space where we do the training for mental health first aid, which can prevent suicides. And as you know, we've been having teen suicides this year, um, but they're taking our out of school time as well. Uh, so the parents organized, and as you know, they went to the Spanish speaking press. Uh, we serve right now, 100% of our students are recent immigrants. And so, you know, we provide a, a service that they can't get anywhere else. And my Portuguese is bad, but we have a lot of Brazilians and, you know, I speak Portugal with them and those students are really thriving with us. <clears throat> but, you know, the, one of the options they gave us on the letter is to go to the Morganwood School. Um, but the Morganwood School already has Boys and Girls Club and we don't do the same kinds of things as they do. Um, but I don't know where there's space. And then the letter says it's temporary. So, I mean, I don't know, Sean. I don't have any more answers. I responded to this letter saying I would still like to know what the problem is and if we can fix it. And if we can stay at Morgan Woods. Well, that's the voice of so Elaine. That's as much as I know. <laughs> Let me remind people that, that, that you're Elaine Unterberger, Executive Director of the Florida Institute for Community Studies, FIX. And they are losing their lease in a Hillsborough County park. It's Morgan Woods Park. And they're trying to negotiate with Hillsborough County about potentially staying there. But they did, as you heard Elaine say, just got a, a letter that they have to be out by October 11th. So, yeah. and I want to also remind people that later on in the show, we're going to hear more about Suicide Prevention Month. We'll also talk to the Union for State University professors about how new laws are negatively impacting higher education in Florida. This is Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan. We're broadcasting from the studios of WMNF in Tampa. So, Elaine, you, you mentioned a few of the services that FIX offers, but uh, now might be a good time for you to, to tell people about some of the other things that students and, and uh, various people in the community, what kind of services they can get from FIX. Well, we, um, we've been blessed for many years with having a uh, donation program, and I advocate for healthy food. I do not advocate for eating fast food. However, um, we have parents who have been very creative. We have Wawa and Starbucks donations, and we get, last week we had over 400, 500 Starbucks donations. They're individually wrapped. So, you know, even if culturally, you know, a person from Venezuela is not used to eating a ham and cheese sandwich, right, they can still take the 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 components out and eat the eat the meat and that's protein for the families same with the wawa we get wawa sizzlies we get burritos we get all these things i also take them down to Y mama and distribute them there if we get a lot so you know we 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 do give them that but one of the biggest 
things that people come to us for is information and referral. So we've been community advocates for many, many years. We train students. We're, we have a great volunteer program for high school students, for Bright Futures, and they can, they're can they tutors and mentors, and also they help us with as community advisors. I'm looking at what's working, what's not working in our area, and a lot of the programs we have come directly from them. Like we adopted Hanley Road because the students were concerned about pollution. Um, and so we do a cleanup with Keep Tampa Bay Beautiful. So these are the kinds of things we do, but uh, back to the food, I think the food is really important. On the weekends, we we load people up, you know, like take as much as you want for the weekend because, you know, there's no, there's no school lunch on the weekend. Our families work two and three jobs. So the fact that they organized themselves and went to media and took time off work, you know, that just shows me how I'm, I'm, I'm amazed by them. They really worked hard to get media attention and we thought maybe we had gotten someplace with the county so that we could negotiate and it's not happened so they're very upset um i'm reeling trying to figure this out um if if you have someone that's watching if you have a van that's you know approved to transport children the thing is that this park is located on a school grounds it's directly next to the school so this is the biggest obstacle, right? For us to leave is to do the the after school program because we don't have a van. So if we move somewhere else, how will the children get to us? I want to remind and a lot of our parents walk. They come, they walk after they're, you know, at six o'clock, they pick up the children at six walking. So Elaine, in a statement, the county said that it had notified you last September that your lease would expire this month and that it wanted to maximize use of its park facilities and that nonprofits were providing programming and series primarily aimed at local youth. So um, I, it sounds like they were zinging you for also um, yes. uh, <laughs> impacting the, the adults in the community and that, that you're your uh, facilities were not a great use of its park facilities. Right. Well, I would like to see what that means. I don't, that's why I asked them. I'm like, what does this mean? Like, I have no idea that there was a problem. You don't, I mean, how do you help youth if you don't help their parents? I mean, our model is that the community is at the center. So we have a model of risk that we put together um, under one of our SAMHSA grants, which really looks at things from the individual, family, community, schoolwork, you know, and society levels. And you can see how intertwined all these things are. If you don't help families, if you don't help adults, like we do a lot of translation, um, <clears throat> which for free for parents so they can understand their bills. You know how confusing these electric bills are, right? So, you know, we do a lot of that kind of thing. If you don't support the whole family, I don't, I mean, I'm not saying that that's not a good thing to just help children. However, our, our approach is very different. We're, we're really trying to build capacity in communities, which is why training community members with youth mental health first aid and evidence-based programming is so important. And I don't understand how that could be against our lease. When I wrote the business plan, we've always mentioned our model of risk, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, we've always mentioned that we are, you know, wraparound services. So it's never been like that. We're not trying to just house a lot of children um, and, you know, 
say, look at us, rah, rah. We're, we're trying to help the community overall thrive. And we have great success stories as a result because we really try to, to have that communication. We have parent meetings. We have events. We have a lot of cultural events that help people feel good about being multicultural. Well, Sorry. as we wrap up this segment, Elaine, I want to ask if you've been trying to meet or dialogue with the county to potentially renegotiate something. I have. I have, but it's like crickets. And then they send me this letter. Um, I'm going to do the reporting that was more reporting than was requested. Um, down to how many kids, how many adults we had every day. Um, because we have sign-in sheets, of course. Um, but, you know, I don't think this is the issue. Um, Sean, as a parting note, I mean, there is development happening in town and country across the street. They're putting in anywhere between 55 houses or something and a private park. Um, and I think that parks probably need some oversight because I don't, I think they have, they're doing things maybe that we don't know. Well, I want to thank there's you. Other plans, there's other plans for that area, I think. I want to thank you so much for coming on Tuesday Cafe, yeah. Elaine. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks. I appreciate it. And again, you can. Go ahead. It won't. You can reach out to me anytime. I'll always give you the update. As much as I know, I'll share with you. I don't understand it. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming in. Elaine Unterberger is executive director of the Florida Institute for Community Studies. They lost their lease in the town and country area. You're listening to Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan broadcasting from WMNF live on September 12, 2023. And now we turn to our next topic, which is higher education in Florida. A new survey says it might be in trouble and many professors are in danger of leaving and it's becoming more difficult to recruit professors because of new state laws. Our next guest who joins us now live by Zoom is Andrew Gothard, president of the United Faculty of Florida, the Union for University Professors. Welcome back to Tuesday Cafe, Andrew. Hey, Sean. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much. And would you be able to turn on your video? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Oh, great. Thanks. Thanks so much for our television viewers. Oh, I thought we were just on radio. Okay. Give me one moment. <laughs> sure thing. So I want to welcome you back to Tuesday Cafe, Andrew, and maybe you can let our listeners know and viewers know what is UFF? So um, can you hear me now? Sound great. Thanks. Okay. Yes. So UFF, we are the United Faculty of Florida, which is the higher education branch of the Florida Education Association. Um, get that going there we go all right you can see me now great uh we're the higher education branch of the florida education association we represent um 34 different chapters across the state which includes um, all 12 public universities 16 state and community colleges we have four k-12 lab school chapters connected to our universities four graduate assistants united chapters and a retired chapter so we're, we're all over the place in Florida. We're a very active group, and we fight every day to protect the working and learning conditions of Florida's higher education community. All right, and we're learning about this multi-state faculty survey and that uh, according to the way that you are letting us know about it, that it is showing harm to Florida higher education. So let us know who was polled and um, what they said. So we polled... Um, so I, just just for the Florida portion, now this covered multiple states across the, the southern part of the, the U.S., um, but just for the Florida portion, we polled um, 
not just our own members, but members of the higher education community more broadly. So these are not just UFF members who responded. These are, you know, these are tenured professors. These are first year instructors, graduate assistants, everybody who works in the higher education community. And we ask them voluntarily, anonymously to respond and share uh, their feelings on what was going on at in higher education, how the uh, attacks on tenure, the efforts to censor speech politically, to weaken contract protections, to make it more difficult to serve as a higher education faculty member in Florida, how all of these things were affecting their desire to remain in the state and their desire to remain employed in higher education. And I got to tell you, the results are horrific. I mean, they show exactly what we have been consistently warning the governor the members of the Florida Board of Governors, the State Board of Education, the legislature. We've been telling them over and over again, if you start to strip away tenure protections, high quality faculty who could go into the private sector and make double what they make as professors will leave. They will go to private labs and they will take billions of dollars in research funding with them. And I mean, if we if we just look at the numbers out of the 642 who responded, almost 300 said that they plan to seek employment in another state within the next year. Within the next year, almost half, um, close to 550 said they would not encourage a graduate student or faculty colleague in another state to seek employment in Florida. Uh, Over 200 said they were not even going to stay in academia long term because of the changes to tenure and contracts and restrictions on academic freedom. And get this, Out of the 642, over 600 said the political atmosphere around higher education in Florida was either bad or very bad. So what this shows is that we have a failure of leadership in our uh, in our elected leaders in Florida. And we have got to right the ship before our higher education system goes under. That's the voice of Andrew Gothard, president of the United Faculty of Florida, the Union for University Professors. And we're talking about a poll of professors that shows that dissatisfaction with new Florida laws that impact higher education. Later on in the show, we're going to hear about Suicide Prevention Month. You're listening to Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan, and we're broadcasting from the studios of WMNF in Tampa. And I'd like to hear what you think. We're broadcasting live on September 20th. You can email dj at wmnf.org or text 813-4330-885. You can also phone in at 813-239-9663. So we've talked about the Florida results, but this poll also included people in Texas, Georgia, and North Carolina. What was their reaction to when they were asked whether they would consider moving to Florida to work in higher education? Uh, They said, no way. Uh, They are not coming to Florida when they are looking for other jobs. And, you know, that, that, that says a couple of things. On the one hand, it says that high quality faculty who have already earned tenure Um, at another institution and are looking for a better opportunity are not looking at Florida. So we're not going to draw those competitive faculty who are looking around the country and thinking about where can they take their expertise, where can they take their research dollars, where can they take all their innovations. They're not looking at Florida. But that also means that new graduate students who are newly minted PhDs, who are looking for a place to start their careers and build their families and contribute to their communities, they're not looking at Florida either. So when you when you see all of the surrounding states that were polled that aren't coming to Florida and you combine that with all the people that we polled in Florida who are planning to leave, I mean, the 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 outlook is is dire, to say the least. 
You, you mentioned that uh, it's because of the impact of political interference and changes to tenure on faculty morale and retention. That's one of the reasons why people don't want to work in Florida, whether they're already working here or whether they're, uh, they're com- thinking about coming from another state. So what is the impact of that political interference and changes to tenure? Absolutely. So um, this spring, the Florida Board of Governors passed a regulation to create post-tenure review in the state of Florida. Now, what most people don't know, unless you've worked in the field, is that post-tenure review already existed, but it had been created in such a way that it could reward faculty who were doing their jobs effectively and ensure that we weren't using post-tenure review um, punitively, but that we were using it to ensure that people were continuing to produce um, high-quality research even after they earned tenure. And, you know, Florida... Over, over the last 20 years has become the number one higher education system in the country. So clearly that was working, right? But uh, apparently it wasn't politically motivated enough. So the Board of Governors passed a post-tenure review regulation this spring that allows for a much more thorough and aggressive review of tenure. It allows for, even though it, it technically prohibits political cause as being one of the reasons that faculty can be Um, reviewed and have their tenure revoked, it doesn't actually provide any teeth to enforce that. And in fact, it opens up all kinds of loopholes for ways that those considerations can be used, particularly to cull faculty from our institutions across the state who do not agree with the governor's perspective or teach subject area that the governor or, or his supporters in the legislature don't approve of. And so what that's doing is it's making faculty stand back and go, oh, So all of my research, everything we talk about in class, everything I have to do now, it's not judged by whether it's actually what's at the cutting edge of the field and what is provable by by evidence. It's judged by whether politicians will like it. And if that's the if that's the call that faculty have to make, they're they're picking up stakes and heading out of the state. And I, I don't blame them. So we've we've established that uh, that the climate here in Florida is maybe not favorable for professors, whether they're professors in Florida or in these other states that are potentially considering Florida. Where are professors looking to move from Florida to where? So they're looking at states that um, um, do still have protections for academic freedom and do still allow faculty and students to express their ideas as they see fit and not have their constitutional rights trampled on by you know, tyrants in political authority. So interestingly, North Carolina still emerged as one of the top states that faculty were seeking alternative um, employment opportunities. My sense is that because it's because it's still you know, within the Southeast region and has not quite yet fallen to the low depths that places like Florida have gone with, with poor policymaking. Um, but also California, New York, and Massachusetts are on the list of places that people are wanting to go. And listen, it's not rocket science what it's going to take to keep people here. All you have to do is respect the constitutional rights of faculty and students to not just disagree with one another, but to disagree with the state, to disagree with politicians, to follow wherever the evidence leads them and not always be stepping back and thinking, oh, is Big Brother DeSantis going to fire me or fire my professor or end this lab because we're expressing ideas or exploring subjects that are politically inconvenient for this moment in Florida history? Well, since you brought up Governor Ron DeSantis and because he's seen as kind of the architect of a lot of these higher education policies that have been passed in Florida over the last few years, let's hear from the governor. He spoke at the ALEC conference uh, last month, I think it was, about higher education and a range of other things. But here's a couple of minutes of of, um, how 
Governor DeSantis views the idea that some professors might be leaving some schools and um, he seems to be okay with it. But let's hear, here's the, the governor speaking at ALEC. We are also reforming higher education in the state of Florida. At the end of the day, our public university systems exist to serve the people of our respective states. They are supported by taxpayers. They don't have the right to just do whatever they want, regardless of whether it's benefiting uh, the people who are funding them. You need universities to fulfill the traditional mission of a university, the pursuit of truth, academic rigor, preparing our students to be citizens of our republic. They are not meant to indoctrinate students in political ideology. That is not a good use of taxpayer funds. So we've laid down the marker on that. We've also now have in Florida, all tenured professors must undergo review every five years and can be let go for poor performance. And we just signed legislation that the legislature passed that we've uh, nixed this whole idea of DEI in our public universities. I don't know that it's constitutional after the Supreme Court's decision with respect to racial uh, discrimination and admissions, but it is discriminatory. It's ideological. And DEI, we say, you know, it, it stands for discrimination, exclusion, and indoctrination. And that has no place in our public universities. So we've stood up for that. And guess what's happened as we've done it? We've seen a flood of applications coming. You know, the media will say, oh, some of these professors are leaving like new college. Like, isn't that a bad is that a brain drain? Well, you know, if you're a professor in like, uh, you know, Marxist studies, that's not a loss for Florida if you're going on. Trust me, I'm, I'm totally good with that. Well, that's the governor speaking last month at an ALEC conference in Florida. And uh, we'll get to New College shortly. There's a lot to talk about there. But let's go through a few of the things that the governor said there with our guest, Andrew Gothard, president of United Faculty of Florida. UFF is the union for university professors here in the state. And he said that professor, before him, before his changes, the professors were indoctrinating students. Uh, he's, he's said that quite a lot, and I will point out he has yet to provide a single example of a student who has been so-called indoctrinated by a professor. Um, as a higher education professor myself, I can tell you that students of today are not shy about speaking up and letting you know if they disagree with something that you have to say. Um, and in addition, you know, there are so many checks and balances with the way faculty teach, with the way, I mean, faculty are some of the most evaluated public employees in the world, right? We're evaluated for every course we teach by our, by our supervisors and by our students. We're evaluated on a yearly basis by our supervisors. Many of us have like multi-year evaluations and promotions that we go up for. I mean, there are people who are checking our, you know, we turn in our syllabi to our departments every, every semester to make sure that they, you know, are clear and are meeting the requirements of the institution for accreditation standards. If indoctrination was happening in a single class somewhere, it would absolutely be caught and remedied. You know, th this that indoctrination claim is part of the governor's ongoing attempt to smear higher education faculty with absolutely zero evidence to prove what he's talking about. The governor mentioned post-tenure review, which we talked about earlier. You said that, it, there, that there's a lot of review for, for tenure professors. 
And he also mentioned he, he was bragging that under his leadership, they have nixed DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion measures at universities. That may sound like it's not, it doesn't impact academics necessarily. It may sound benign, but what are the real life impacts of canceling DEI programs at universities? So canceling DEI programs for Governor DeSantis is all about his him continuing his war on people of color in the state. Let's be absolutely clear, right? From the attempt uh, to, and, and I guess the successful attempt to remove majority black voting districts in the state, to lessen the voting power of people of color uh, across Florida, the, the desire to remove DEI programs is is all in that vein. Because let me tell you what, there's a lot of like political propaganda that goes around about what diversity, equity, and inclusion programs do. Let me be very clear that the vast majority of diversity, equity, and inclusion programs, they help students from underserved communities get access to higher education and finish their degrees, right? Folks who maybe didn't go to the best high school or, or don't have families with a lot of money who can help support them through a four-year degree or maybe have difficulty just getting to school, right? DEI programs help with that. They help first-generation college students. They help students from different um, religious backgrounds. They DEI is all about opening up access to higher education. And anytime you're trying to eliminate programs that expand access, what you're really trying to do is keep people out that you don't like. And I think Governor DeSantis, through his policymaking and his public statements and his refusal to denounce white supremacy in the state, has made very clear who he likes and who he dislikes in the state of Florida. That's Andrew Gothard, president of United Faculty of Florida, the Union of University Professors. And we're talking about a poll of professors that shows dissatisfaction with new Florida laws that are impacting higher education. This is Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan. We're broadcasting from the studios of WMNF in Tampa. And uh, the DeSantis was kind of joking that professors of Marxist studies were leaving campuses and uh he thought you know that wouldn't he said that would not be a loss but there are those uh it's not just professors of marxist studies that are leaving there are stem professors that are leaving florida and so on as your as your poll has found yes absolutely and i just want to clarify i don't i don't actually know what a professor of marxist studies would be um, you know, we definitely have professors in business who teach, you know, capitalism and, you know, the different forms of economic systems that exist. We certainly have, we certainly have philosophers who explore like, you know, economic theory and labor, but there's not, there's, there aren't professors just sitting around like opining about the joys of Marxism. That's not, that's not how higher education works. But also you're absolutely right that, you know, this is across the spectrum of individuals who are planning to leave the state. This is not focused just in the humanities. This is not just focused in areas that the governor clearly finds you know, politically problematic, which by the way, the governor saying that he wants individuals who study Marxism to leave the state is absolutely viewpoint discrimination under the constitution. I, I just wanna be clear, it's inappropriate for the, for the governor or the government to choose what free, free citizens get to learn and think and talk about. But outside of that, we are absolutely seeing faculty in every field and every discipline planning to leave. Um, and, and the attack on tenure and the demonization of faculty and the reduction of morale because of the statements that you just heard from Governor DeSantis that are just absolute fabrications about what happens in higher education are the cause for all of these ills.
Now might be a good time to talk specifically about one uh, higher education institution that's changed a lot in the last nine months or so, and that's New College of Florida. In fact, Bubba writes in, thanks for bringing Andrew on your show today. What is his take on the grifters like Richard Corcoran and Chris Rufo, who led the conservative takeover at New College of Florida, and Bubba calls it shameful? Yeah, well, let's be clear. You know, anytime you're listening to Christopher Rufo talk about higher education policy, you're listening to someone who has zero experience in higher education, right? That these are the these are the brilliant experts that Governor DeSantis and his supporters are appointing to help supposedly reshape higher ed. I mean, we might as well have just thrown a rock into a crowd and picked out someone at random because they would have had equally as much experience in higher education policy as Christopher Rufo. So I encourage everyone when you hear his wild ideas, recognize you're listening to someone who doesn't know what they're talking about. Now, for the rest of them, I mean, what we saw was absolutely a political takeover. These were far right political extremists, many of which who did not even live in the state of Florida, had no connection to the community or to the institution, who are making very, you know, unquestionably wild decisions about how faculty and students should be treated. And let's actually look at the results. Faculty are fleeing. Um, students are being driven out of their dorms for major investments in sports, which actually don't have, you know, the, the, the college doesn't, or the new college, which is actually a university, doesn't have the space to actually, you know, use these athletes in any way. And let me tell you, if you're talking about ways to improve a higher education institution and the best ideas you can come up with are canceling programs, firing faculty, and dumping money into sports, you don't actually have any ideas. Right. We could have asked chat GPT how to improve new college and come up with more substantive answers than we have seen from Richard Corcoran, Christopher Rufo and that horrific board of trustees that is driving that institution into the ground like a railroad spike. We also have, as you mentioned, there's been a lot of faculty turnover, and but but in, according to the governor, the governor was really happy that there's, he, in his words, there's been a flood of applications, um, but that has actually led to the, the school having to house students in hotels and so forth. So um, isn't, isn't it a good thing though to get a lot of applications? I have not seen any evidence that, uh, that there has been a flood of applications. Uh, as with as pretty consistently with higher education policy, the governor has a very complicated relationship with the truth. So uh, until I actually see any evidence that there's been a flood of applications, I am going to stick with what I what I know and what I have seen, which is that applications are down and that students very much do not want to go to new college. And the most of the students we're hearing from are students who have been baited into going there with athletic scholarships that unfortunately do not seem as though they're going to pan out. Our guest is Andrew Gothard, president of United Faculty of Florida, the Union for Pro University Professors. And we've got a call, so let's hear what Don in Tampa has to say. Hi, Don, you're on the air. What would you like to say? Hi, uh, new college graduate here. Uh, I want to ask the professor uh, uh, to speak to how Republican identity politics are to distract from the loss of the abortion issue as a base globalizer. All right, thank you, Don, for that. And Andrew, um, did you understand the question? Not, not fully. What was the... Try one more time, Don. These type of identity politics that distract from the loss of the, the abortion issue, which they won as a base mobilizer. All right, thank you. 
Yeah, I th- so absolutely. You know, are, are there issues and are there things that we could actually do in higher education to improve the quality of education that students receive and improve the working conditions of faculty and staff in our colleges and universities? Absolutely. But just like we're seeing broadly across Florida and, quite frankly, American politics right now, the, Re- the Republican Party and, and just sort of broad conservatives are focused on these um these culture wars absolutely as a distraction from the real issues, right? The legislature can continue to argue about DEI and critical race theory and where it should exist and where it shouldn't exist and what role the government should play in censoring ideas they don't agree with. But none of that is actually going to do anything to improve our higher education system. And as we saw, as we've seen with this survey, the more they argue about this and the more they demonize faculty with these sort of false gender manufactured crises, the more they're going to drive highly qualified professionals away from our higher education system. All right. Thank you for that call, Joe. And I should remind people that we are live on the 12th of September here on Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan, and our guest is Andrew Gothard, president of United Faculty of Florida. And we have uh, we have Joe in Lakeland on the air. Joe, you're on you're on the air. What would you like to say? Yeah, I think another Joe here in Lakeland. Uh, yeah, my wife's an educator here in Polk County, longtime educator. Comes from a family of educators. Mom taught 30 years. Aunt taught 45 years. Uh, and there is a huge, she is now up to 32 students in her classroom, a huge uh, 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 evacuation of in teaching jobs at her school and many other schools. There's vacancies all over the place. And all this back to policies that tie in to what's going on at New College because it's the, 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 the DeSantis policy, as I like to say it, that's caused her this thing, and because they're not paying teachers. He's decided with the uh, the raise, so that he called it, uh, went to new teachers where there are no new teachers because of his policies. So therefore, the teachers who are tenured or who have been there teaching for a long time aren't didn't hardly get any raise. And of course, then there's the administration who soaks up a lot of the raise as well. Um, so it's just really hurt Florida as a whole, again, back to his and colleges, the whole Disney and tourism, it's just been a really bad deal all around. This this the choice that Florida made for this governor. And Joe, I'm going to let you go because I think you made your point. It's not just higher education, Andrew. Um, Joe is also pointing out that in Polk County's public schools and I'm sure other public schools in the country, in the state, there are similar problems. Yeah, I mean, there's no question that education policy under Republican leadership for the last 20 years has dramatically harmed um, public education in Florida. I mean, as as the the speaker was was talking about the vast numbers of teacher vacancies, the difficulty that we're having, um, just getting teachers to actually get into the classroom anymore. Um, that has been building up over a long time in bad Florida uh, legislative policy making, and for a while. You know, the legislature kind of left higher ed alone, which is why higher ed was able to improve so much. But now they've decided we didn't have enough mailboxes to put our bad ideas in. Let's shift over here to higher ed and see if we can break that, too. And listen, this is what happens when you elect politicians who don't run on platforms that actually have substantive ideas. 
we have got to stop electing wrecking crews. We have to we have to elect the construction company. We have to elect people who know how to build good policy, who know how to sustain the best interests of Florida in the long term, and who are ready to create things. Because if we just keep supporting as a state folks who only want to tear things down, we're going to turn around one day and realize that we're living in rubble, and it's going to be our own fault. Well, we have one more call. I know uh, our time is running short before we get to our next segment. Again, we're going to talk about Suicide Prevention Month in just a minute or two. But maybe, Art, if you are able to make a very quick point, what would you like to say, Art? Hi, I was just wondering, uh, when DeSantis fired a president of the university and then hired one of his friends and increased the salary of that person about 300 k isn't that an overt corruption? Thank you for the question, Art in St. Pete. Andrew? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that I, I appreciate the, uh, the caller before who mentioned that what happened at New College was a grift. Absolutely. I mean, pushing out the previous president and then hiring a president who has no higher education administrative experience, who's just a politically connected individual, and then doubling their salary, um, that is that is absolutely a grift and is not something that should be happening with public dollars. And I will point out that for years, our organization fought legislation that was that wanted to take presidential searches for colleges and universities out of the sunshine laws, because we thought it was important that for institutions that have millions and sometimes billions of taxpayer dollars that go to how that institution runs, that the taxpayers should be able to see who are all the individuals who have applied for these jobs and why are we choosing one individual over another. But unfortunately, um, last year or two years ago, two sessions ago, the legislature decided, no, the public didn't need to know that. And immediately after that is where we saw an influx of politicians taking over our colleges and universities and not highly qualified academic professionals. Well, that's all the time we have for, for this segment, but I do want to thank you very much for coming on back on Tuesday Cafe, Andrew. Thank you for having me, Sean. I'm happy to come back anytime. Well, I'm really glad you could join us. Andrew Gothard is president of the United Faculty of Florida, the Union for University Professors. We've been talking about a new survey of higher education faculty that shows dissatisfaction with state policies that are affecting colleges and universities. And we are joined now for our, the last segment of our show, which is about Suicide Prevention Month by Clara Reynolds, the CEO of the Crisis Center of Tampa Bay. Welcome back to Tuesday Cafe, Clara. Are you able to hear me, Clara? Looks like we're having some difficulties with Clara hearing us. Um, I don't know why that is. Sorry about that. Um, can you hear me, Clara? You can hear? Perfect. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much, Clara Reynolds, the with the Crisis Center of Tampa Bay, the CEOs. First, tell us what is the Crisis Center? 
The Crisis Center of Tampa Bay is an organization that's over 52 years old, and our mission is to ensure that no one in our community has to face crisis alone. And that word crisis can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people, but we define it as if somebody's got a life's problem and they need help finding that solution, whether it's food, clothing, shelter, childcare, care for family members, whatever it is, we are your gateway and we will help you connect to the resources and supports that you need either within the services of the crisis center or through one of our 4,000 community partners. And the resources that we'll be mainly talking about in this segment of the program is has to do with World Suicide Prevention Day, which was last Sunday, September 10th and Suicide Prevention Month, which is the month of September. So maybe you can get, give us some statistics. How prevalent is suicide? Well, unfortunately, suicide continues to be overall the 10th leading cause of death in our country and for youth and children ages 10 to uh 17, it's the second leading cause of death. So it is, it is very significant um, across our community, across our state, and across our nation. And of course, prevention is what we're focusing on today. So uh, what are some signs that we can look for and maybe ways that we could intervene if we notice someone might be having a crisis? Well, that's a wonderful question. And one of the biggest sides is if somebody is telling you that they are having thoughts of suicide, that they are thinking about harming themselves, those are absolute warning signs. Please take those very seriously. We hear oftentimes that people say, oh, they're just looking for attention. It doesn't matter. Give it to them. If somebody is voicing that they have thoughts of hurting themselves, if they are talking about suicide, they are very serious. Please take those uh, those words seriously. Also, if individuals, you notice that they've got changes in their behavior, changes in, the, uh, in what they are uh, doing, meaning that maybe they're withdrawing from things that used to be enjoyable for them. Maybe they're withdrawing from family members or friends. Or sometimes the exact opposite. If you've had somebody who's been exceptionally depressed and all of a sudden they seem very light and very okay, that could mean that they've already made the decision to end their lives. So if you notice something that is completely outside of the realm of a loved one, a family member, a colleague, it's really important to have the conversation, making sure that you ask, are you suicidal? Are you contemplating suicide? We also tell anybody out there, if you've got that little niggling in your belly that just tells you something isn't right, one of the most important things you can do, again, to prevent suicide is ask the question. Be there in the moment with that individual. Ask them how they're feeling. I will tell you, a lot of times people will push back and go, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. That's when it's so important to say, you know what? I know you. I love you. I respect you. This is not what fine looks like for you. I'm here talk to me and then give them the space to take a breath, to be able to gather their thoughts. And then once they start talking, don't stop them. Be quiet and listen to them and make sure you have your cell phone ready with the suicide and crisis hotline number, which is 988. In case you need some additional resources to help that family member or friend get through that crisis that they're in. Our guest is Clara Reynolds, the CEO of the Crisis Center of Tampa Bay. We're talking about Suicide Prevention Month. This is Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan. We're broadcasting from the studios of WMNF in Tampa. You mentioned the number 988, the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, which is um, staffed by your group, the Crisis Center of Tampa Bay. Uh, what kinds of, of calls can you take there? What kind, how 
if someone might is thinking they might be able to use that service, what what kind of situations would they be in? Well, it is wonderful because it is truly a crisis and suicide hotline. So if you are in a behavioral health crisis or you might have a family member, a friend or a coworker that is having some sort of mental health crisis, and that could be they are contemplating suicide or they are depressed, they are anxious, they are struggling with substances, anything that is really preventing them from being able to accomplish their daily life. Uh, those are the types of calls that we encourage anybody in our community to call 988. It is a free line. It is confidential. Um, and that will be the lifeline, really, to get you to help and support. We um, experienced when we opened that line, and that's a fed, it's a national line. So 988 is available anywhere you might be in our country. Uh, that opened up on July 16th of 2022. And in a year's time, we saw 215% increase in call volume just here in our local Hillsborough County because our family members and our friends in our community have been struggling for so long and they now know they've got a place to go. I want to talk about some groups that may need extra uh, attention when it comes to issues surrounding Suicide Prevention Month. Let's talk about youth. Is there a role that social media plays on the mental health of youth and what do we know about youth suicide? Yeah, Sean, absolutely. We know that youth suicide, unfortunately, is increasing. Youth with behavioral health problems are increasing. We know that through the pandemic, so many young people were isolated from family members and friends. They were isolated from their outlets whether that's in the arts or in sports or just any kind of social get-togethers, we know that young people really need that face-to-face -face interaction. And while these fabulous electronic devices were good in some sense, what we also know is this doesn't replace the, the need for face-to-face -face interaction. The other piece too is certainly the role that social media has played in this. And I, I want to preface this by saying social media is a tool, right? And it's a tool that can be used for good, but can also be a tool that is used for things less positive. And what we certainly have seen is that for some youth, they find themselves on social media so much that it is impacting their sleep schedules, it's impacting their eating, it's impacting all of their daily living skills. And when you add that all up, along with the additional pressures of maybe school, of family situations, that has created, unfortunately, a situation that many kids just don't know how to cope. And so they are talking and contemplating suicide. They are contemplating other uses of substances and things like that that aren't healthy. And those are the exact kids and youth that we want to make sure that we're reaching and telling them about 988 because there's nothing more powerful than to be able to talk and somebody actually listen to what you have to say. Our guest is Clara Reynolds, the CEO of the Crisis Center of Tampa Bay. And we're talking about Suicide Prevention Month on Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canan. We're broadcasting from WMNF in Tampa. Another group that I'd like to ask you about is military veterans. Are there special signs to look out for or ways to help people who might have PTSD? 
Absolutely, and it's a wonderful question. We have such a large veteran population here in Hillsborough County, but also across the state of Florida. We also have a veteran support line, um, 1-844-MY-SL-VET, that is also available that can connect one vet to another vet. Uh, we actually employ veterans who have had similar life situations, have experienced transition, and they can provide that instant connection. But if you are a, a veteran yourself or you have family members or friends who are uh, some of the again some of the very same warning signs you know if a veteran is talking about suicide if a veteran is disconnecting from things again that used to provide them with um, support and with joy uh, those are can can be signs one of the things that make it uh, make veterans an extremely vulnerable population is that many veterans uh, maintain their uh, firearms that they have used in the military and we know that access to a what was known as a lethal mean, i.e. a firearm or medication that could result in an overdose, does make somebody more um, susceptible and more at risk for suicide. So we certainly encourage any of those, uh, again, those veterans or their family members or friends, if you're concerned about a loved one, you're concerned about yourself, please reach out. You can certainly call 988. And for veterans, you can press um, 2 and be connected to the Veterans Crisis Line. Uh, again, it will be connected straight to the VA. Or if you don't want the VA, you can stay on and, and just be connected to resources right here in our community. And as we wrap up, maybe our last question that we have time for in a minute or so we have remaining, when we're talking about Suicide Prevention Month, uh, there's also we should maybe talk about if you have any advice for people who are grieving and how to heal. Absolutely. So for those of you out there who maybe have lost a loved one or you've experienced some sort of trauma or crisis, it is really important to find somebody that you can talk to. Speaking your feelings with somebody that you trust is so important. So whether that's a family member, a friend, maybe a member of your clergy uh, or uh, a somebody in your social circle is important, or you can just call the Crisis Center of Tampa Bay either by calling 988, which is again is the Crisis and Suicide Hotline, or by calling 211, which is our information and referral line. Either one of those numbers will get you connected to somebody who, again, whose entire job is to be there with you in the moment, to hear you and to listen and to offer help and support. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on Tuesday Cafe, Clara. Thank you, Sean, so much for the opportunity. Clara Reynolds is the CEO of the Crisis Center of Tampa Bay, and we've been talking about Suicide Prevention Month. I also want to thank our earlier guests, Andrew Gothard and Elaine Unterberger. If you miss any parts of these interviews, you can watch them. They will be on our website at WMNF.org beginning this afternoon. I also want to thank our phone screener, Irene. You've been listening to Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canaan, News and Public Affairs Director at WMNF Tampa. During this time slot tomorrow, Shelley Reback will host Midpoint and we'll hear from the League of Women Voters about the congressional redistricting in Florida. Coming up next is Wavemakers with Janet and Tom Scherberger. This has been Tuesday Cafe coming to you live on September 12th, 2023 from the studios of WMNF in Tampa. Thanks so much for supporting community radio. You can listen at WMNF.org or on the WMNF app. Thanks so much and enjoy your day.